Hey everyone, it's me, and you're listening to The Darker Side of Things. Welcome back to another episode of The Darker Side of Things. I'm Susan, your host, and tonight we are going to discuss the Lonely Hearts Killer, better known as Harvey Glattman. Um, But before I begin, um, just wanted to give a little update on my brother. Um, He is doing better, um, but he still is uh, suffering with his legs, unfortunately. So it'll be quite some time before he'll be able to rejoin us. So um, I just wish him well and and hope that everything uh, goes according to plan with his uh, upcoming surgeries and so on and so forth. Um, I love him and and I hope that uh, everything goes well. So back to um, the story. And I'll just go ahead and get started. Um, This story is of the Lonely Hearts Killer. And um, he's also known as the Glamour Girl Slayer. He is one of the worst, if you ask me. Um, His tactics and reasoning for doing what he did are beyond contempt. He was a vile man, and his execution was exactly what he deserved. I will be providing first a timeline of his crimes, uh, then we will go over more details of some of the crimes themselves so you can understand why this man was sentenced to death. He was born December 10th, 1927 in Bronx, New York to Ophelia and Albert Glattman. They were Jewish. His family moved to Colorado early in his childhood He began exhibiting antisocial and sadomasochistic tendencies at a very young age. One of those was trying to string around his penis, or or rather tying a string around his penis, gross, Um, then placing the other end of the string in a drawer, closing the drawer, then leaning back against the string to achieve a sexual thrill. Now, amazingly enough, This behavior was at the age of three. The age of three. Can you believe that? I didn't even know that a boy that age could achieve any kind of sexual feelings, let alone this type of behavior. At the ripe old age of four, pardon me, I'm sorry. Yes, I said four. His favorite pastime was tying a rope around his neck looping the free end over a pipe or rafter and yanking the rope with one hand while masturbating with the other. Where in the world did this stuff come from? He had to have seen something like like it, you know, to exhibit this kind of behavior. However, in my research, I did not find anything that would suggest he was molested or anything like that. I guess he was just messed up from the get-go, born that way. His mother described him as a normal, healthy child with the usual childhood illnesses. 
was she blind or or something? Was she not able to see what was going on with her child? Goodness gracious. He's tying ropes around his neck and masturbating at the age of four. Come on. At the age of 11, his parents came home only to find that his neck was swollen and rope burned. It was at this point they moved to Denver, Colorado. Here, his father caught him masturbating, and he told him that if he continued to do that, it would cause acne. Acne? I personally have never heard that. Um, That's kind of weird. But anyway, his uh, father also believed that he was queer because of his behavior. But that has nothing to do with that. Uh, His mother took him to the family doctor at this point. Wow, took him long enough. Uh, because she was uh, becoming alarmed, and the doctor told her he would grow out of it. Yeah. Uh, Considering the time this stuff happened, I would imagine that this wasn't something a doctor was faced with often. In fact, I would go so far as to say this was rare, reported behavior for the time. So I don't know. Therefore, the doctor had no clue how to deal with it, So saying what he did was the easy way out. But that is just my opinion. Now, at the age of 12, wow, this just keeps getting better and better, he entered junior high. His peers made fun of him for his acne, buck teeth, and oversized ears. This is actually sad because that's not something he could control. Um, I saw pictures of him, and he wasn't the most attractive man on the planet, so... I I can only imagine that that was pretty hard for him. But that's not to say that that doesn't lessen what he did. He was awkward around girls and would turn red and felt like he was inadequate. It was around this time he began breaking into homes. Each time he did this, he would take something. Didn't matter what it was. He just wanted to take whatever. He even took a 26 caliber handgun from one resident. Next came the more sinister behavior. He followed a woman home and forced her into her bedroom where he gagged and tied her up with a rope. With each step, he became more confident and graduated to unbuttoning shirts and skirts and fondling them. While in school, he was described as an above average student, not very athletic, involved in Boy Scouts, music, photography, and he gets a job as a delivery boy. By the time he turned 17, he uh, started to develop a taste for creeping around apartments and following women on the street, threatening them with a 38 revolver that he stole from one of the places he broke into. When he would get them to a secluded place, he started making them partially disrobe and took money from one. In one case, police caught him in the act, breaking into an apartment where Elma Haman, or Hamom, lived uh, through the window. In his pockets, they found a rope and 25 caliber pistol. While being interrogated, he confessed to several burglaries, but didn't disclose the ones where he forces sex. May 21st, 1945. Harvey was charged with first-degree robbery. His parents posted bail. On June 18, 1945, he abducted a woman named Noreen Laurel from her neighborhood after binding her. 
He drove out to Sunshine Canyon. He touched her, but he didn't rape her. He returned her home, and when she got there, she reported the incident to police. They had her look at a series of mug shots where she was able to identify him. He was rearrested, and at this time, there was no bail. He later went on to graduate high school and was in the upper one-seventh of his class, so he was pretty smart. August 1945, Harvey was taken to the doctor and was diagnosed as schizophrenic, or at the time, split personality disorder. He was described as sullen, morose, and disrespectful. He felt as if everyone was out to get him. He was again arrested in September of 1945. However, no mention of what the arrest was. He remained in jail until November of that same year. In November, December 1945, somewhere around in there, Harvey goes to court and pleads guilty to first-degree robbery, spends his 18th birthday in prison. He was re-diagnosed as having psychoneurosis compulsive or anxiety type with depression. No evidence of schizophrenia. Back to summertime of 1946, August, Harvey approached couple uh, Thomas Starrow and Doris Thorne. He ordered them into the dark woods and took Starrow's wallet. He tied his legs together and molested Thorne by threatening her with a cap gun he had that looked very real to the couple. He later went to Albany to test the waters there. He follows a nurse to Florence. Uh, oh, he follows a nurse. Florence hated and attempts to sexually assault her, but he isn't successful, and she gets away. Thank goodness. Then he attempts the same thing with Evelyn Berg and Beverly Goldston. Thankfully, they also get away and report the incident to the Albany police. Within two days, Harvey is taken into custody, and he confesses to the attack on Florence Hayden. His mother and father seem to be shocked by their son's behavior. Really? They're shocked? Goodness gracious, what does it take to get them to, you know, see what's going on with their son? Apparently, they have or had no clue as to what a monster their son has turned out to be. To be the mom and dad of a child like Harvey, I, I can't even imagine what they were thinking at the time. So later on, he went to trial and was convicted of the assault charge against Hayden in October of 1946. He accepted a plea deal, reducing his charge, and was sentenced to 5 to 10 at the Elmira Reformatory. Now on to 1948. Dr. Ralph Ryan Cole diagnosed Harvey with psychopathic personality schizophrenic type with sexually perverted impulses as the basis of his criminality. Seems to me like a lot of titles, but no explanation as to why he does what he does. He's just a bad apple as far as I'm concerned. No labels can explain that, no matter how many of them there are. He was sent to Sing Sing, a, max security, a, a maximum security prison, to complete his term. While there, he was described as psycho-educated, and if still antisocial, should be segregated 
even if schizophrenia does not seem developed. Harvey is later paroled in 1948. Why, why, why? He has a repeating pattern of this type of behavior. How can he be paroled after just two short years for a sexual assault? That makes no sense. So his parole was based on being a model prisoner with a high IQ and, quote, demonstrated ability and eagerness in his prison duties and responded positively to medical exams, end quote. Of course, he's, he's going to be a model uh, prisoner. He wants to get out. They all do. He's going to do whatever he can to make himself look presentable to be able to be out in society. I wouldn't expect him to act any other way. And what does his high IQ have to do with anything? Yeah, he's smart. Hello? He works the system, in my opinion. Anyway, when he was paroled, he was to return to the care of his mother, get a full-time job, and be under court observation for four and a half more years. Off to Denver, Colorado, he went and stayed there until the death of his father in October of 1952. In January of 1957, he went to Los Angeles. There he picked back up on his old hobby of photography. He used that tool to his advantage because at this time, pornography was becoming popular and women were willing to pose clothed. In August, he called Judith Dull regarding a photo shoot. She was only 19 years old at the time and was an, an aspiring model. At the time, she was going through a bitter custody battle with her ex-husband over their 14-month-old daughter. She was in much need of extra cash, so when Johnny Glenn, Harvey Glattman, called and offered her a job paying $50, she jumped at the chance. He instructed her to wear a tight skirt and sweater. They left her apartment and went to his studio. Harvey used his 32 caliber Browning automatic or I'm sorry, it's not a gun. It's a camera. Um, and he began shooting photos of Judy tied up, bondage photos. He then raped her repeatedly. And when he was finished, made her huddle with him while he watched TV. He made her huddle. Oh my, oh my gosh, this guy is, he's weird. And apparently that lasted for about two hours. Good. Oh my gosh, he, he's just weird. After that, he instructed her to get in his car, and they drove past Thousand Palms. They got out of the car, and he lassoed her neck, ugh, shoved her to her knees, pushed her down, and used the other end of the rope to tie her ankles. Then he strangled her to death. His description of the act is this, quote, I would make them kneel down with everyone. It was the same, with a gun on them. I would tie a five-foot piece of rope around the ankles, then would loop it up around their neck. Then I would stand there and keep pulling until they quit struggling. End quote. What a freaking monster. On to November of 1957. He heads back to Colorado because he loses his job. His mother takes him in, no questions asked. Now, I'm a mom, and I love my son and stepsons dearly. But with Harvey's history 
I don't know that I would feel comfortable with someone like that being in my home. To just turn a blind eye is a little naive, don't you think? In 1958, uh, he then decides to go back to Los Angeles, and this is where he meets Shirley Ann Bridgeford. Shirley Ann Bridgeford, born April 20th, 1933, to Walter Levi Loy and Alice Sims Jolliffe. She had three siblings, two sisters, and a brother. She was recently divorced with two sons when she met Harvey through the Lonely Hearts Club in L.A. All she wanted was to find companionship, which wasn't uncommon for single women during the 1950s in Southern California. They planned to eat dinner and drive to Sun Valley. Instead, he brought her to his place and, at gunpoint, made her undress, tied her up, and raped her. He then took her out to the desert, where he killed her again by strangulation. He left her there unburied so that she could be torn apart by animals and the desert wind. This guy, he's just, he's relentless. I, I, I'm so glad he got caught. Next, we have Ruth Rita Mercado, born December 17th, 1933, to Cristobal Q. Mercado and Francisca Rosario Mercado. No siblings were listed. She was also age 24 when she was murdered by Harvey. She too was a model, and he found her the same way he did Dull through a modeling agency. After setting up the meeting, um, he arrived at her place only to find that she wasn't feeling well enough to do the photo shoot. So that, that made him pretty mad. Um, he got pissed off. So he decided to come back later uh, to her house and he let himself in and he raped her repeatedly at gunpoint throughout the night. The following morning, he drove her to the desert where he did his thing and killed her like the others. Later, when he was finally caught, he said of the act, quote, she was one I really like. He, oh my gosh, he liked her. <laughs> he liked her. I don't, I, I don't understand why these people do what they do. Anyway, so I told her we were going out to a more deserted spot where we wouldn't be bothered while I took more pictures. We drove out to the Escondido district and spent most of the day out on the desert. I took a lot more pictures and tried and tried to figure out how to keep from killing her, but I couldn't come up with any answers. Oh, gosh. He he's a piece of work. That's that's for sure. He's just he's garbage. And I'm so glad he was put to death. So um, Harvey's uh, failed fourth murder attempt. Here we have a 28 year old Lorraine Vigil. She had just registered with a modeling agency when Harvey contacted her about a photo shoot. She got into the car with him, and as they drove further away from Hollywood, she became more and more worried. Good for her. She said, quote, I did not become alarmed, however, until we entered the Santa Ana freeway and he began driving at a tremendous speed. He wouldn't answer my questions or even look at me, end quote. As they traveled, Harvey claimed his car had a flat, 
So he pulled over to the side of the road. Once the car stopped, he pulled a gun on Vigil and attempted to tie her up. He, however, had other plans and grabbed the gun by the muzzle and tried to wrestle it from Glattman. He tried to convince her that if she let go, he wouldn't kill her. She knew he was lying, of course, and they continued to fight over the gun. Harvey accidentally fired the gun and it went through her skirt, grazing her thigh. She then bit his hand and grabbed the gun. I'm so glad she did that. She held him there at gunpoint until the police arrived, most likely flagging down a passerby. Police arrived and arrested him for assault. That's when he admitted to the two, I'm sorry, to the three previous murders. He led police to a toolbox that contained hundreds of pictures of the women he molested, as well as the three murder victims. He led the police to the dead bodies and was then taken to the San Diego County Courthouse. November, he was arraigned and then interrogated. He confessed on videotape to all three murders and gave details. While in jail, his mother, 69-year-old Ophelia, came to visit him. She tried to argue to the press that Harvey was sick. I'm so sorry, Mom, but at this point, you have to realize that your son isn't who he, he, you think he is, that uh, he is a murderer. Sick, maybe, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he killed three women and molested many more. You need to get a grip, lady. There's, there's no smoothing any of that over. Um, in December of 1958, Dr. C.E. Lingale examined Harvey and determined there was no evidence of psychosis and said Harvey knew right from wrong. So, Mom, he is sick in the head to the extent that he enjoyed raping, molesting, and killing women. No way around it. December 1950, or December 15, 1958, Harvey pled guilty by speaking openly about his crimes. He repeatedly requested that he be given the death penalty and even tried to stop the automatic appeal process given to all death penalty cases in California. Next came his sentencing, where he faced death or imprisonment. I personally think that because he wanted the death sentence so badly, while he des probably deserved it, um, I think it would have probably been... Uh, more hurtful to him to have put him in prison for the rest of his life and made him stay there and think about what he did. I think that would have been uh, more effective for him anyway. So uh, it, it next came his sentencing where he faced death or imprisonment. His taped confession was played and the judge imposed the death penalty. From there, he was sent to San Quentin prison Harvey Glattman was killed in the gas chamber at San Quentin on December 18, 1959, where his horrifying killing spree finally came to an end. And this concludes the terrifying case of the Lonely Hearts Glamour Girl Killer. This man was a menace to society and got what he deserved. Again, I still believe that um, a prison sentence versus the death penalty would have been more beneficial. Because he would have gotten his in there, I'm sure. Because he, he, if you look, pull him up and look at his pictures, he was kind of a mousy guy. So they would have definitely had their way with him. 
Um, I have always been an advocate for the death penalty. I feel that if you take a life on purpose, yours is forfeit. Granted, thou shalt not kill. And we as normal people know not to do that because it's wrong. But I also believe that for individuals who do it out of lust, revenge, or just because they can and want to get away with it, uh, if they do that, they get sentenced to death. We are to um, abide by the laws of the land. And if the law says potential punishment for murder can be death, then so be it. I'm sure there are those of you who disagree with the death penalty, and that's perfectly fine. But I stand behind my views. And with that, thank you all so much for listening. And if you would like to comment about today's episode, please feel free to do so. Those can be sent to the darker side of things, the number one at gmail.com. Send us your stories as well, good, bad, and in between. It doesn't matter. We'd love to hear and read uh, what you've got to say. You can also follow us on Twitter at SusanRod6965 and on Instagram at the darker side of things pod. And don't forget about Facebook, the darker side of things podcast. As always, stay safe, keep it real, and stay away from the rabbit holes. They're dark and deep. Bye, everybody.